Amen. Joshua chapter 11, where we pick up, but looking at a couple of verses by reminder, the Gibeonites had tricked Joshua and the gang and and, uh, made a a contract, a a covenant. They they would not harm them. And uh, so they they came in and became a part uh, of the children of Israel and became woodcutters and water carriers for the priest. And uh, they actually had one of the most blessed locations and jobs of all the children of Israel outside the tribe of Levite being there uh, in the presence of the Lord. And it says in verse um, 40 there of chapter 10, Joshua conquered all the land. And then in verse 41, Joshua conquered uh, them from Kadesh Barnea. And um, we have a map, and I forgot to get my laser pointer. Everybody, pause the tape. Everybody talk amongst yourself quietly. Nobody follow. Oh, somebody's getting it. Okay. And uh, <laughs> a moment of pause for technical things here. Here we go. Thank you, kind sir. And uh, so when we look at uh, Katie Sparnia, the map we're looking at tonight is there. It uh, actually is way down here uh, by the Red Sea, (laughs) okay? And then uh, he mentions also uh, going up all the way to Gaza, and uh, this again is right about, excuse me, it's right here, the Gaza area. And then... um, it also mentions the country of Goshen. Remember, Goshen's where they lived in Egypt, way down here. And uh, this map is wonderful, isn't it? I just keep pointing at the floor each time. And then up to Gibeon, which uh, I am spacing where that is right now. I can find it. We have the technology. I should have gave you a red thing too, Bill, to... To speed things up. There it is. Gibeon is, is right here. Red light, work. It's not working, Bill. Oh, there we are. Is that somebody else's pen? It's right here. Use your pen. It's right there. It's right here. Is that my pen or somebody else's? Right here, Gibeon. So... Um, there's a lot of fun things to do with laser pointers. And, and then, uh, and so Joshua, it says there, um, notice in verse 42, all the kings, these kings in their land, Joshua took at one time. Now, often in the, the Eastern mindset, they, they give you sort of a preview, an outline, and then they come back and fill in the gaps. We see that with the first of Genesis. Uh, For chapter one, it gives you a quick outline. Then chapter two goes back in, uh, in the time of Genesis one. And this is the same thing. We're gonna go into detail, but in in essence, he's saying all of it was conquered, but then we're gonna go back and define that. And part of the definition is they conquered it, but not completely. So Joshua did, in essence, uh, take out all the kings. He... um, conquered their armies, 
But as we're going to find out, it was up to each tribe to go in and take over the city. And, uh, you know, the various uh, men of war that weren't captured, they're still out there and they're doing raids and guerrilla warfare. You got to go out and kill them. And uh, then you need to go in and, and dispossess the people out of the land, as, as God had said. And as we're going to discover here, all the way to the beginning of Judges, they did not follow through. And so it was up to them to possess their possessions, and they didn't do it. But notice in verse 42, a wonderful sentence there, because the Lord God of Israel fought for them. Why did they have such success? Because the Lord uh, was the great warrior who was taking them out. In Exodus 15, verse 3, it says, the Lord is a, what? Man of war. The Lord is his name. You know, people often, when they think of the God and the nature of God, they don't realize that, that God is a warrior. And remember earlier in Joshua, when Joshua was trying to figure out how to take over the, the city of Jericho, there was a military man. And he had a sword in Joshua's face. And he's like, are you for us or against us? no. Well, that doesn't answer the question. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And then we discover it's God. Same thing at the burning bush. When God was speaking from the burning bush, this warrior says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. It was a theophany of Jesus. He's a man of war. And then also, Psalm 144, it says, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. So David said that his great military ability came from the Lord who empowered him and strengthened him and trained him to be this great warrior. Well, now into chapter 11. It came to pass when Jabin, the king of Hazor, and we'll point out Hazor here, There we go. Right here. Hazor. This is the Sea of Galilee, right above the Sea of Galilee in this area. Hazor, which would become the area of Naphtali eventually. But uh, it struck it, it it says here, um, that he sent uh, to Jobab, the king of Madon, to the king of Shermon, the king of uh, Akshaphah, to the kings who were from the north, to the mountains, to the plains of Chinnereth, uh, in the lowlands and in the heights of Dor on the west. So Chinnereth, the actual word means harp. And for years, that's what the Sea of Galilee was called. Understand the Sea of Galilee, the lowlands. It's the lowest fresh-bodied water on earth, about 800 feet below sea level. Where is the lowest spot on planet Earth? Right here, the Dead Sea. Uh, somewhere between sixteen and 1,800 feet below sea level. And, uh, and so again, it's interesting. You have all these amazing things uh, in this little tiny country of Israel, the oldest Christian church in Bethlehem. And, uh, and so the Lowest spots on earth are right there. And so you think about it that Jesus did had most of his ministry below sea level, about 800 feet below sea level. 
However, he himself was very much on the level. Although he ministered below the level, he was always himself on the level. And so, anyway, it's in that area of Chinneroth, also known as Galilee. Now, in verse 3, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Jebusites in the mountains and the Hittites below, uh, Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And so here we have a different map we need. There it is. And so we have this, this list here, and uh, we can go in an order of, the, of what it has here for us. Uh, so number one, we have uh, the Amorites here. And then number two, we have the Perizzites here. And then number three, we have um, Jebusites, which they inhabited the city of Jerusalem. And uh, later David would dispossess them and take the city of Jerusalem uh, as God's city. And, um, and then number uh, four, we have the Hivites here, here, and here. They had uh, quite a bit of land at that time. And so uh, Mount Hermon is right here. It's a very large mountain. So this is 800 feet below sea level. Mount Hermon goes up to 5,000 plus feet above sea level. And a lot of the year it has snow upon the mountain there. And then he goes on to say, in verse four, so they went out and they and all the armies with them, as many people as as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. Uh, with very many horses and chariots. So understand this here in the scripture is what's called a hyperbole. It's an obvious exaggeration to bring about an emotional response to facts. So, you know, it's like, well, how many people are at the concert? There's 10 billion people at that concert. It was packed, really, 10 billion people. You're such a liar. There's only 6 billion people on the planet, you know. It, 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 I wasn't trying to give a factual number there. I was simply trying to relay uh, a message of how packed it was with an obvious exaggeration. It's a, liter- it's, a, it's a very accepted form of literature. And so here, uh, like the sand. Now, Josephus, the historian, tells us details about this battle. He said there were 300,000 footmen. That's huge. There were 10,000 chariots. That's an incredible amount. And then there were 10,000 horsemen. So, you know, when you would look at that uh, in this area, it would, it would seem like it's an innumerable number is the way it would appear uh, from eye view. So in verse 5, When all these kings and they met together, they came and camped together at the waters of uh, Mimram in the fight against Israel. Now, this right here is the Hula Valley. This is the Lake of Hula. The Hula Valley was actually just a swampland. And a matter of fact, when the children of Israel uh, in the early 1900s uh, began to buy up the land of Israel, uh, the Arabs who owned this, most of them from Saudi Arabia, they were more than glad to make some money on this and sold it to them at a very low price, thinking 
is Israelis are complete idiots uh, because this land is useless. But Israel came in here and they began to plant eucalyptus trees which get the water out of the air for their existence. And that land began to dry up. And interesting in Israel, you wouldn't think, but it had um, all kinds of, of creatures that you'd normally find in South America. We had, they had alligators and crocodiles and all kinds of uh, reptiles and so forth that are uh, unique. It was unique in their existence, but also it was unique that they would find them in that part of the world. But when they dried that up, all those animals went extinct. And uh, even though that's some of the most fertile property in the world, now Israel, when it possessed all this other land, which is very, very fruitful, very uh, fruitful um, farmland as well, now they regret having done that because it was such an amazing uh, piece of property with all of the swampland and all the various creatures. But uh, what's left today is the, the lake, the Hula Lake, uh, there in the Hula Valley. And here it's called uh, Merom uh, to fight against Israel. In verse six, but the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time, I will deliver them, all of them, slain before Israel. You shall hamstrung their horses and burn their chariots of fire. Now you say, why does God want that? Back in Deuteronomy 17, remember the message to a future king one of them was, is you will not own chariots. The other thing is, you're to hamstring the horses. Why? Because that takes their strength away, their power away. There's something that you can use to travel, but you can't use them to pull a chariot, and you can't use them to, to you know, march into battle, to thunder into battle. And God tells us why there in Deuteronomy 17. Because I want your trust to be in the power of God not in the power of your military might. Don't count the people. Don't have chariots, hamstring the horses. Don't multiply these things to yourself. David, later in Psalms 20, when he had more than ample opportunity to do that, it's because he was so successful. Unfortunately, Solomon did fell in this area. But he says in Psalm 20, verse six, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Verse seven, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. So David here reiterates that his faith is gonna be in God and not in his military might and definitely not in horses and chariots, which was the strength of an army in those days. Well, in verse seven, so Joshua and all the people of, uh, all the people of war with him came against them and suddenly by the waters of Merom, the Hula Valley there, they attacked um, them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who de- defeated them and chased them to the, the greater Sidon. And the Sidon is uh, a different one. I need to show. There it is. Sidon way up here. Tyre and Sidon. And uh, then he goes on to say here to the brook of 
Miseroth, somewhere in that area, in the valley of Mizpah, eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung the horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all these kingdoms. So Hazor was a a powerful city, the king there. Uh, Everybody looked to him as their leader of that area. And so he was combining the forces together of all these kings. And, And the Lord came in and just took out the biggest, strongest, richest, most powerful city there of Hazor. And in verse 11, they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. Now again, some people have a hard time with this. God did command that the people leave the country or they die. And that includes women, children, babies, and everything that they had created basically revolving around their pagan gods were to be destroyed. But remember this. In Genesis 15, God gave them 400 years to repent. (laughs) That's pretty patient. And we look in Leviticus, and not only did they not repent, but they saturated their society with homosexuality, with bestiality, and all kinds of other wickedness. And, you know, the, the, the kinds of diseases and germs that, that were there, you, you can't really work with those kind of animals that have been a part of bestiality. And, of course, with all the other acts, you're passing on some serious diseases to the babies, to the children. And so God repeatedly said, I don't want you to be polluted by the peoples of this land. And if any of them remain including small children. They're going to pollute you. And you get that one little compromise is going to cause a whole series of compromises until you not only allow them to stay in the land, but you begin to marry them. And they begin to teach you of their pagan practices. And as God has vomited them out of the land, now God's going to have to vomit you out of the land because you're just like the people that God is judging and you were the, the arm of judgment uh, upon these people. And so you say, wow, but, you know, killing babies. Well, let's remember one thing. We're in the Old Testament, okay? And we have to take that into calculation, that, that the dispensation of time of this time is not the same of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was literal, it was physical. In the New Testament, it's spiritual, So what was commanded in the Old Testament as a sin and they were to be stoned to death and burned, in the New Testament, he says, if they don't repent, excommunicate him from the church. And uh, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. In essence, you shut the church door to them, I'll shut heaven's door to them. You no longer fellowship with them, I will no longer fellowship with them. And of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, the whole purpose is to bring them to repentance. And if needs be, God will destroy their body that their soul might be saved. And so again, it's, it's not to be mean or cruel, but it's to basically say to be a, 
to be a part of the family of God, you, you cannot have these obvious sins uh, in your life. And so again here, this, this was God's judgment and it was essential that they obeyed God in following through with this, that this land does not pollute them uh, with the past sins of these cultures that have been there for hundreds of years. And so I'm sure as tragic as it adhered uh, us to hear this, it was very hard for these people to follow through with it. And uh, we're going to find that they weakened their stance very quickly and didn't follow through. But um, here in verse 13, but as for the cities that stood on their mounds, mounds are, are tells. So when they destroyed the city, it makes a hill where the city was destroyed. Many of the tells are actually a city that was destroyed, another city built on it, destroyed, another city built on it, destroyed, another city. The, the city that's been conquered and destroyed the most of any, any city in the world is Jerusalem. Seven, over 70 times it was destroyed and rebuilt. And so all of those civilizations before are under it. They just take, it, take the mound and they level off the mound and there's all kinds of stuff under it. They just fill it up and flatten it out with dirt. And then they, that's their new foundation for the next civilization. And so these tells, and so as you walk, go through Israel, you see all these tells. And many of them, almost most of them now, they know uh, what that tell is. They can tell you uh, what cities were there that were destroyed by the children of Israel. Um, and then, again, as they saw these mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor, only with, only with Joshua burned. And in verse 14, And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel took a booty of themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. And as the Lord had commanded Moses a servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did, he left nothing undone at all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Completely, fully obeyed the Lord. And in verse 16, and Joshua took all this land, the mountains, the countries, all the south, the land of Goshen, the lowlands, the Jordan, the plain, the mounds of Israel, and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent of Seir, even as uh, far as Bel and Gad and the valley of Lebanon, the Mount Hermon, he captured all these kings and struck them down and killed them. And Joshua made war a long time with all these kings. There was none of the city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibbon. We, we studied that last chapter, the Gibeonites. And all the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts now make a note there, the word hardened is the word confirm. So they were in rebellion against God. They had hardened their hearts against God, hardened his hearts against his people. And it was the Lord that confirmed their position of hardness. And so he says this is why this happened, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them and that they might receive no mercy but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. So 400 years to repent. When they weren't going to repent, he confirmed their hardness and he caused them to be uh, even harder that they might be utterly destroyed. And in verse 21, And at that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim, 
from the mountains. The Anakim, again, were the giants uh, from, from Gibron, Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with the cities. And we're going to come later and see more specifically how this was done by Caleb. But um, at this point, um, the giants, remember? They, the children of Israel, when they first sent the spies in, they said, these guys are giants. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. But later on, little tiny, ruddy King David, <laughs> as a little boy, would go out with a slingshot and take down Goliath, one of these Anakim. But in verse 22, none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza and Gath. Remember that Gath is where uh, Goliath was from. And in Ashdod, all of those are Philistine cities uh, along the coast. And so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. Now, starting in verse 12, it begins to talk about all the places that um, Moses had conquered. So look down in verse 6. We would have put it this as verse 1. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, the children of Israel, had conquered. And so he gives a a long list of of these uh, as they traveled from Egypt into the desert for 40 years and and forward, all of the various kings um, that he had conquered. In verse 2, we remember Sion, the king of the Amorites, and also in in verse 4, the king Og um, from Bashan, and, uh, and so forth. And, and there's a lot more detail there. And then uh, as we go on here, the next, in verse 7 now, it says, now this is what Joshua conquered. And it gives a list of kings, 31 different kings mentioned here, and all the lands that they possess. And uh, we're not going to read that. And you say, well, hold it. Isn't all the Bible the word of God? Yes, it is. But not all parts of the Bible are equal <laughs> um, in importance to others. Okay, so the genealogy of Genesis 5 is not important as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Okay, they're all scriptures, it's all the Word of God. And so for us to, to read through this, and you should do it on your own, and uh, you know, when the writers were writing this in the very history of their time, this was a very important document. But now that we're so far removed from this, uh, the importance is lessened for us at this point. And so again, it lists all those names. So if you guys would uh, memorize verse 7 to the end of chapter 12 by next week, and, and uh, we're going to have a test, you know, who's the king of Eglon and uh, where did he reign and that kind of thing. No, we're not going to do that. Only kidding. Well, in chapter 13, now Joshua's old, advanced in years, And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to possess. You know, sometimes it's just downright rude, you know? It's like, dude, you are one old geezer, and uh, man, you're old, you know? And when God says that, that's, 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 I don't know, that's, that's pretty depressing, you know? You hope the Lord to say, I love you, doing a good job, not, 
dude, you are old. That's just not very encouraging. We know in in Joshua 24, as we come to the end of this book, that Joshua was 110 years old. So he was somewhere very close to that right then. So he was old. You know, when you get to be 109, you're old. I think it's okay. I think you should admit to yourself, 109 makes me old. And uh, there's, there's no shame in that. But anyway, there was a lot yet to be done. And so you say, hold it. They said they conquered everything. They conquered the kings. They conquered their armies. But not all the armies were conquered. Not all the people had left the land. There was still work to be done conquering the cities and kicking the people out. Sometimes the people left the cities but stayed around in that area in a guerrilla warfare thing attacking them. And they couldn't live in peace. They couldn't grow and prosper because they couldn't uh, go out to the farmlands without being attacked. And so that all was supposed to be dealt with. And so he, he goes on in verse 2 to talk about all the various territories uh, that were conquered and all the various kings. And he talks from the east to the north. And, and he gives the boundaries uh, of Israel as you go on in this chapter 13. And then we come to chapter 14. By the way, chapter 13 mostly describes the land of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, which wasn't in the promised land, which was on the other side, right here. Okay, here's the boundary of Israel, the Jordan River. Today, this is the country of uh, Jordan. Uh, And and this is um, the area... Uh, of the ancient people of Edom, the Amorites, and the Moabites. And, uh, and so here, this is the children of Israel, the whole tribe of Reuben, the whole tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Remember later, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and comes to the Gadareans. And these, the guy had two demon-possessed guys right here. Why? Because they were totally polluted. They were the first to go down when people came to attack them. They were the first to be polluted by idolatry. And quickly these, these countries or these, these tribes were minimized to almost nothing whatsoever. The other tribe of Manasseh, however, was over here. And remember, Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And because Joseph was such a righteous guy, God gave him two different tribes to represent Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so anyway, this is the description it gives there in chapter 13. Now in chapter 14, he goes on to describe that the priest in verse 1 were not to receive any land because that uh, God was their possession. And uh, and in verse 2, notice, their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. So the places that God gave them, it was by lot. According to tradition, the priest put in various sections of Israel before they even got there. And each tribe came and they pulled out a piece that said, this is your section. And so when they went into the land, there was no discussion who got what. It was already preordained by God uh, what they would have. Now, in verse 6 here, the children of Judah, remember Judah was to be the ruling tribe, uh, described in Genesis 48, that the scepter would never leave uh, your hand. 
until the Messiah comes, till Shiloh comes, it says, which is a word for the Messiah. And so knowing this in advance, they're going to be the ruling tribe. Uh, the children of Israel came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, remember there's only two guys, two of the Two of the spies that stood firm and believed the promises of God, it was Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb said, guys, let's go fight and battle. These giants are nothing. God's given them to us as our bread. Let's go eat them up. And everybody in Israel said, let's kill these guys. They are annoying us. And then the Lord had to step in so Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb weren't killed. Those are the only guys that stood still. And so God kept Joshua and Caleb alive. They didn't die in the wilderness. But both of these men are relatively elderly men now. Definitely the oldest men uh, in, in Israel at this time, by far. And so anyway, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzanite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made uh, the heart of the people melt. But I, here's a great sentence to underline here, I wholly follow the Lord my God. He did not waver, but with all his heart he believed and trusted in the Lord. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot was trotted, where you went in to spy out, wherever you guys walked during the time of your spying out in those days, wherever you put your foot shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said he would, And these 45 years ever since the Lord spoke this word to to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. So not only did God keep him alive, but God sort of hit the buzz, the, the, the pause button on, on him uh, growing old. And he's saying, I'm 85, but I am as fit and strong and a greatest warrior as I was at 40. And in verse 12, we see his faith once again. Now, therefore, give me the mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, those giants, were there. And that the cities are great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and he gave him uh, Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as uh, his inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. He was the giant of giants. Then the Lord, uh, then the land had rest from war. So he went in at 85 years old and took on these giant people and uh, took them down. And uh, again, it was because he had as much faith as well. And he wholly 
follow the Lord. And what an amazing testimony, you know, of men of faith. I love reading Hebrews 11. We're going to be there in a few weeks on Wednesday nights, but, you know, by faith. (laughs) And it gives the list of things that men did, impossible for them to do, but yet through God, they did amazing feats. And here Caleb is this man of faith, and, and God is giving him the blessings according to his faith. In essence, God is saying to all the tribes, be it unto you according to your faith. And next week, we're going to look at this in more detail. And I believe we're going to finish the book of Joshua next week. We're going to be done. And then we're heading into some of the funnest parts of the Bible. Heading into Judges. And every week, just a fun story with a a powerful pack of truth. And then going into Ruth. And then 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and hearing the life of David and Solomon and all the various kings. It's, it's going to be about three years, I think, of just a very, very fun season of story time. And when you come in, we're going to give you milk and cookies and we're all going to have something to color, you know. No, we're not going to do that, but it's going to seem like that. It's going to be a fun, fun time. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight and we thank you again for... The Bible's a historical, factual book. And as we go through this, we realize this isn't a myth. This isn't a, an idea that, that history has proven it to be. Uh, the Bible is a historically accurate book and how powerful and, and wonderful it is. And we ask in Jesus' name that we would come by faith to believe all your scriptures and in particular here to to see the faith of Joshua, to see the faith of Caleb and see the blessings of being able to live a long life and a strong life and a, and a fruitful life. What an example it is to us that in a short time that 31 kings and all their kingdoms were taken down, kingdoms that were, seemed impossible to defeat because of their incredible cities and their incredible armies and chariots and horsemen but yet, here are the children of Israel with no great military experience, with no great military power, but by the power of God fighting for them, we're able to do the impossible in a very short time. And Lord, we, we know that the, these stories are an illustration to us in the New Testament and an analogy for us in the New Testament of how we need to enter into the promised land and, and take our possessions all the working of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and and that we need to continue to fight the enemy and win over the enemy. And through God, we shall do valiantly. And we, we thank you again as we think on these things and meditate on these things, that you would speak them into our life, that we possess all the possessions you have for us to possess, spiritual possessions in you. And we lay our lives at your feet in Jesus' name precious name.